My name is Rashad. I'm Brandon. I'm Vidi. I'm Rihanna. And this, this is Learning Boldly. This is Learning Boldly. This is Learning Boldly. Welcome back to Learning Boldly, a series where current Texas Lutheran University students and alumni discuss their experiences as members of the Black community. The goal of this series is to inform, inspire, and empower members of the TLU community and beyond to continue movement towards equality. This is episode five, Interesting Times. Between entertainment, media, and politics, there's no doubt that when you turn on the TV, the era we see unfolding is unparalleled to any other time in history. With these unprecedented times, we have tried to unpack what it all means for the progress of social justice. Part one, entertainment. Here is Councilman Jonathan Randall. One of the biggest reasons for me running the very first time was the fact that I wanted the young, you know, black kids in this community, this community that I grew up with, to see a different version of success that wasn't a ball or a microphone. You know, um, and that's coming from somebody who was a college athlete when I was going into college, all I thought was was sports. Sports was the only was my only way. And so if I didn't play sports, I didn't know how, you know, things were gonna happen for me. You know what I mean? And so, you know, we couldn't we couldn't separate success from sports. And so it was big for me to wanna show people, you know, this is what this is what success looks like when you don't have to play ball, you don't have to you know, have a microphone in your hand to be a rapper. You can be successful and do positive things from a totally different platform. So, um, you know, you touched on it. Just, I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. Just coming up, I always thought, you know, I'm going to be in the NBA. I'm going to be in the NFL, uh, you know, or if that doesn't work out, I'll be a rapper. I think for me, that's just one of the things that I see. It's like, how can we fix that? And it, it does start with having a positive mentor, somebody that you can go talk to and just be like, hey, here's what I'm going through. I don't want to be involved in this. Well, like, hey, here are your options. Like, you know, I went to college or here's a career path that you can choose. Because, I mean, some people, they get to the point where if I can't play ball or if I can't be a rapper, I'm just going to go be in the streets. But it's like, anytime you go, so if you go on TV right now and you go watch a black show, is it promoting like a, a positive image? Like, is it, you know, like a family show or a family environment, like a family dynamic? Or is it more so like, drama, 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 slavery this, uh, kill this, uh, they're going through this, extreme poverty. Like, and I, I know that those are true stories, um, but at the same time, is it, can we get a success story? Here's Alicia Jones. You know, it's like, we need a balance. We need some balance with it. You know, it's like, you know, like you said, the Ratchet TV is good, but then what else do we have? Like, what else, how else can we, show and depict and give kids something else to look forward to or you know so that they don't have to look to cardi b and megan the stallion as their role models but that they can you know learn to decipher um and that their aspirations are not to be a youtuber um or a tiktok you know tiktok famous um but to you know like to really feel like I have the potential to be a, a lawyer or a doctor or you know whatever um, because I remember working in the school and one of the kids was like, Miss, you had to go to college for your job? And I was like, yeah, I had to go to college. And then he, because he was like, I'm not going to college. It's not for me. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. College is not, maybe not be for everybody, but as smart as you are, like you could definitely do it. And he was like, Miss, you make more than $20 an hour. 
And I was like, I make more than $20 an hour. And he was like, there's no black people in the world that if they, if you're not, uh, um, an athlete or, you know, on social media or something. And I was like, I make more than $20 an hour. I was like, I had to go to not college just for four years, but I had to go for an additional. And he was like blown away that he was like, I've never seen a black person, let alone a black woman make, you know, say that they have a profession and that they make a lot of money and I was like and this is just like an entry-level job for you know what I'm doing and it it like did something it did something to him like he was he was completely blown away so yeah there's not enough there's not enough representation of you know the positive what what we have the capabilities of doing Stephanie Womack so specifically about any cops shows i've never liked them because they've always whether it's been um something conscious or unconscious they've always shown black men getting arrested and i just didn't like that like i was my dad oddly is a black man and he loves cop shows i don't understand it but he does but i did not enjoy watching them sitting next to him and being in a world with black people. Um, So while I'm unhappy that those people are out of work, I am happy that that is not a form of entertainment um, anymore. So if you look globally, I think black culture transcends globally. You see it in Asia, you see it in Europe. Everybody gravitates towards what we have. Everybody is just naturally, they're like, oh, you know, this is going on, that's going on. Like, you may be a superstar in the U.S., but you go overseas and they're 10 times bigger than they are here. So one of the things that I'm just wondering is, like, how come all around the globe we're celebrated at such a high level? But then when we get to that point here, it's almost like people reduce it down to nothing. Like it might be a Black History Month or, you know, even in school, you only learn it for about a week or maybe on Martin Luther King Day if you go to school on that day. But, you know, that's kind of just the dynamic that we see because in other places it's such a, you know, it's glorified you know, and then here it's almost like it's played down in a sense is what I would say. But that makes so much sense. I watched this documentary over uh, Stefan Marbury and bro, like pretty much what you said is just literally his situation. Exactly. Like bro was pretty much shitted on here in USA, NBA basketball. Then he went over to, can't remember exactly where he went, but in the Asian population and he was a superstar like overnight, bro. And he said that that transition from the NBA to the league that they hold was almost like mental clarity. It was like it's like set free. But from what I was seeing, like he was see, he was sought out as a delicacy. Like people appreciate him for what his talents brought, who he was as a person. Here is Jennifer Sanders. And even like bringing LeBron up, I think sometimes people think, oh, he should just play basketball. He should just this. But if you see him, like he is really making some huge strides. I don't know if, you know, maybe one day he'll run for office. I don't know. But he's just making huge strides in like the political sphere uh, and just the community activism and all of that. And I think for me, I enjoy seeing that because it's like, okay, you're not just looking up to him as a basketball player, but you're seeing what he does as a, um, you know, an actor this and an advocate for for our people which is really good we was brought over here forcefully and so it's almost like we established our own culture we made some new hip-hop all this cool stuff but 
I was watching Black is King. Shout out Queen B. Like, like when I tell you, like mm-hmm. I sat down and I was watching this film, and I had this like in my spirit, almost like this tug of war, of like I just could not have. I didn't have a genuine connection to what I was seeing, and it made me really sad. I was like, because it looked so beautiful. They was doing all the dances, and I'm just like, man, I can't relate. And I feel robbed. And so it's almost like I want to get that. I want to I want to experience that. I want to learn about that. And I wish we had the the um I mean we got 23 and me and then like stuff like that, ancestors.com, but who knows if they lying to you? Like you just swabbing it out, sending it to somebody. <laughs> you just never know. So you just you know, I want those tools, man, because I was like, um, so my question really was was like how connected do you feel? to your roots like your ancestry because i know for me it's shallow it's not as deep as i want it to be yet so i was i'm wondering how you feel about that here is octavia littles same um definitely um that's one of the biggest things that i think people don't understand that came out of slavery and out of us being brought over is like this you know other cultures they can you know go back and see this is where we're from, and this is the exact village that my grandparents, our great-great-great-grandparents live, and we don't have that, um, and it's hard to not be able to trace yourself back to and see actual, like, hundreds years old traditions and religions and just different things, and so I kind of have the same experience as you with Black as King. I loved it, and it was visually brilliant, and it was like the music was great, and all of that but i was like yeah like the i wish that i knew those dances and i wish that i understood you know the different things that were going on in there more than it's just really pretty to look at or it looks really fun because i know that those things have meaning for them and i and it, it's it hurts that we don't know the meaning so for sure for sure and i think jay-z and Favreau, i don't know if you've seen their video it's called entrepreneur Pretty much that whole, it's a music video highlighting the entrepreneurs within the Black African-American community. And I can't help but to think that like, you know, that platform of showing somebody, you know, over a TV or mainly social media now, and you get all these young Black kids seeing like all these entrepreneurs, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur yes. now. You yes. know what I'm saying? Because yeah. like, I know for me, when I growing up, like I wanted to be like Kobe Bryant. I was thinking about yeah. no business. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was thinking about I was thinking about catching and dribbling the basketball. Here's Herman Lampkin. As far as kind of how both sports have handled, you know, the Black Lives Matter, hats off to them. You know, if nothing else, they really showed that they do care. Uh, now, granted, uh, did they really have a choice? I mean, you look at the NFL, it's, I mean, I, I don't know the exact number, but probably about 80% black, I'm just saying. So you really tick them off. You may not have a football season if they all decide we're not going to play. So it was funny. Uh, early in the season, I think it was the first week, they had a, I believe it was when the Washington football team, I got that right, played against the Eagles. Okay, and before the game, they played the national anthem, and then they played, and I quote, the black national anthem. And I saw on Facebook, and it was a friend of mine, 
uh, that was upset. She was upset because, you know, where's the unity in playing a black national anthem? And, you know, this was a post that she posted. She didn't tag me on it or anything like that. I just happened to be scrolling down my feed and see how upset she was. And so not only was she upset, but there were a lot of her friends that were all chiming in. Yeah, there's no unity in that. Why do the black people get their own national anthem? And, you know, if we played a white national anthem, they'd have a fit, right? Well, and I said to them, and it was a group of them, and I said, anybody questioning why they would play Lift Every Voice, which is the actual name of the song, anybody questioning that and the unity in that, either one, hasn't heard the song, or two, didn't listen to the words. I mean, when you listen to the song, ultimately, it talks about a dark past and overcoming that dark past in hopes of making our way into a brighter future. And um, I'm like, when you really think about it, that's not, that's, it's lift every voice, not lift every black voice and sing. Whatever representation we're not seeing through entertainment, we're generally seeing through news or social networking. As each year passes, information becomes more easily accessible, but where are we getting it from? And how is it molding our society? Part two, media. Dante Cage. I would definitely say, you know, I mean, we need to make sure that everybody's watching the news and major news outlets and also your local news outlets as well. And not, you know, listening to everything that you see on, you know, social media, Facebook and, you know, Twitter and stuff like that. Here's Sherelle Van Brinkle. So I have this huge fear of like what's going to happen when my kids are old enough to have phones and be on social media. Like it really, it, it, it scares me. My niece <clears throat> lived with me for a while and, um, and she's 18 now, but she was 17 when she lived with me. And like the amount of time that is spent on social media <laughs> and the amount of effort that is put into social media and the amount of like stress that is caused by social media, it just like makes me want to disengage from it so much because I'm such a little hippie. Like on Sundays we go and hike and we might listen to some music, but we're out there for like two and a half hours. It's a two and a half mile hike. We play some disc golf, like it's super unplugged. And like at that moment, it's the only time where I'm just like, all right, I can breathe. Because you get on social media and it's like, am I gonna see somebody else being killed? Am I gonna see a, a some a friend, quote unquote friend, post something that's gonna piss me off. Am I gonna sit there and like type in, y'all know y'all do it, type this whole comment in and be like, I'm, it ain't worth it, I'm gonna delete next post. Like, it's so, like, y'all know y'all do it. Would you put all this, like, it, it just, it's so, like, I feel like a tent, like it's, it makes me super tense. And so I just am like, what, I mean, I don't need the media. Like, I don't, it's good to have, know what's going on, but I can't necessarily sit, uh, I can't allow myself to, it's so negative. But I think it's just, it can be overwhelming. Um, and and for, for girls, for women, it can be very, um, like it's a lot on, on your, like just being secure as a woman. Um, just, it's, I'm like, 
you know, my, you know, I, I, I try to instill these values into my kids and they backfire with my six-year-old because she's super assassin, but I've never really cared about what people think about me. And that is like the opposite of social media, right? It's like, um, it, that's all it is, right? It's like, let me post it. And it's not even that, but that's what it becomes. It might not be the intent, like the intent initially, but it just becomes like this, like this competition. And so I just, I think it's super unhealthy and I think it's unhealthy for everybody, but like, especially the black woman, like where the, the image of beauty is not you and, and the pieces of you that is the image of beauty were like stolen from you when you were oppressed because of those images, like because of those things. And you were like made fun of as a kid because of those things. Like, um, I think it brings back, it could bring back trauma. It could bring, you know, it could bring so many mixed feelings that like 2020, we don't need it. Like, so I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna just unwind. Let me go hike. Let me go, you know, running, play. I'm super active, like play something with my kids, like whatever it is. I, I think I, I choose green space over media. But yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think it's, what I have definitely liked recently about about social media is like all of the voting stuff. Like every time I pull up Snapchat, every time I pull up Facebook, it's like, are you registered? Are you like, are you vote ready? And like the people who were influential when our parents were younger were not on TikTok twerking. Like, <laughs> or like, and it's not even that, but they weren't like, like it wasn't makeup tutorials or and like all those things are great. It's good to look at them. Like, trust me, if I don't get on a YouTube makeup tutorial, I'm looking toe up trying to go somewhere because I don't know how to do makeup. So I truly appreciate those. But like also, hey, are you registered? Like put some blurbs in there. Like you like you have, you know, all these people following you. Like, what are you doing with that? You know, what what impact are you making? I wish I could get Hell, half the people that work in my department in my under me to listen to me, shit. Like, it's a black woman. I know, like, I mean, Kamala even asking like to be heard, and like she's got a whole following. So I'm just like, <clears throat> when you know, we value different people now, um, and that's okay. Like, you know, things change. And that's okay. I just really wish those people that we value now value change. But it's funny that you brought that topic up because I was just talking to my friend about it, about social media, because I had saw, uh, I was scrolling through my social media and I had seen a bunch of celebrities that were like these real uh, enticing pictures. And I was like, man, like what's going on today? And so my friend was like, have you actually looked at it or like slid? So I was like, no, let me go slide. So one of them was like, uh, I think one of them was Michael B. Jordan. And I was like, all right, I'll slide. So I slid and it was like, uh, are you registered to vote? <laughs> and I was like, okay. I was like, it's, <laughs> I was like, I see what you're doing. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish that more people did that. And I think for, for, for what, what frustrates me is we get distracted. Like it, our leaders get distracted easy. And this is like marathon work, right? This is not like, a one and done this isn't like oh i registered i voted okay like after november 3rd all right what else we got to do like what's the next thing that we need to be doing um how do we organize how do we how do we shift culture and, and like there's just there's so much to be done like there's not really yes there's room for breaks and relaxing and stuff like that but there's not really 
there's not room for us to be distracted even if it is just a little bit of a change like obviously we're not going to dismantle all of this in um, in my lifetime uh, which sucks to know um it's a hard pill, pill to swallow but i think i've gotten used to planting seeds to trees that i'll never see um as long as they're being watered and growing like we're moving <laughs> Here's Fernando Roman. I don't think it's so much getting under control. I just think, you know, social media has a way of exposing stuff that's already been there. I think a lot of, there have been so many Trevon Martins and so many Mike Browns, and you know, I mean, there's so many, if you look at in the last 10, 15 years, you know, there was you know, Oscar Grant, Amaladi Diallo in New York, but there's so many different instances where, you know, unarmed black men and women were shot. And again, I think social media has come a long way to where now it's being exposed and now you can't really ignore it. It goes viral to the point where everybody has to look at it. So reporting and then anchoring, which is, means, you know, sitting behind the desk reporting the news, all you see is people who look like you in mugshots, you know, in handcuffs. And that's an issue, you know? Every time you're reporting, it's always something bad about your community. And so you think about the young boys and the young girls who see that, what type of future are you creating with them? You know, because if you see it, you believe it. And so if you continuously see people who look like you in trouble and, you know, just on the wrong side of the law, then that starts to create kind of this concept of yourself in your head. So for me, it's tough. It, It really is. And I think that's what led me to be more solutions-based. And so really talking to people in communities of color who, yeah, you know, I grew up in the hood. Yeah, I, you know, went to jail, but now I'm mentoring kids so they don't go down my path, you know? Yeah, I was, you know, dealing drugs, but now I'm going to this community center and, and dealing hope, you know, telling people what they need to do, what they need to know in order to not follow in my footsteps and get on a better path. So I did in my last station, I did a series that was called, we were just talking about this, uh, Victory Over Violence. And so it was really focused on how people came out of these situations that just weren't really good, but they had victory, you know, they came out of the situation. Keyword came out of the situation, they came out of it better, and they were able to achieve greatness and then help plant that greatness into the younger generations. So really focusing on that. And I felt like that was kind of my contribution to letting people know the good side of our communities. So we didn't always see the violence and, you know, poverty and all and all of that. So for me, my big push is like mentoring young journalists of color and making sure that they see, okay, she did it. She looks like me. She did it too. I bring them in the newsroom. This was pre-COVID, obviously, but bring them in the newsroom, show them, you know, sit them down at the anchor desk, let them actually experience what it can be like to be a journalist so they know that it's possible. As of all the issues around media and entertainment were already enough. Let's add in what may be the most contentious election year in modern history. The cocktail of extenuating circumstances that has been 2020 seems to be coming to a climax on November 3rd, and what promises to be a polarizing time in the country and at our university. Part three, politics. I mean, I guess I kind of understand, but I don't understand why you have to have politics and race in the same conversation. Here's Sean Washington. You're completely right. You shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, because like, cause with me, whenever I'm, you know, I, I want to talk about these things and I want to talk about my experience as a black person. 
and then politics comes in and I'm just like every time. Yeah, I'm like, what 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 the hell? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the uh, it's the default mechanism for the conversation. When you're having that conversation with anybody in the political spectrum, that's like the default to fall to. Uh, like I was telling them last night, you know, I'll, if I'm at, say, a conservative person's house or I'm having a conversation with a conservative person or you want to say like a Republican, right? They'll, you know, I might say a couple ideas I have or why I think things in the political arena should run a certain way. And I'll, they'll be like, ah, oh, see, you're just a liberal dim. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, okay, you know. But I can also have a conversation with a Democrat and they'll literally leave. Like I can leave the Republican person, go talk to a Democrat and they'll call me a Republican because I'll say, well, I believe I should be able to own guns. You know, my, this is right. This is, you know, whatever. Like, no, no, no. You're such a Republican. This and other where I don't really associate, associate myself with either party. You know what I mean? It's just like we're in the land of the free should be able to do what we want to do. Um, but yeah, it's hard to have that conversation about race without the political part to come up it, and they shouldn't go together right like you said it was like why does that come up it should have yeah. nothing to do with each other we're talking about human rights we're not you know we're not talking about if you should be taxing this or taxing that you know what i mean there's two different things going correct, on correct. and so but it's just yeah. the default a lot of people fall back to is that they feel comfortable in it because the race talk is hard right we know that the closest i got to having a, you know a conversation with like a someone about my age about race uh, whenever we first started talking, I asked him, you know, how he felt about race. And as we got into the conversation, he said, wait, before we have this conversation about race, I need to know, are you a Democrat or a Republican? And, and I was like, what? <laughs> he said, I need to know, are you a Democrat or a Republican before we start talking about race? Mm. And so you you want to know who I voted for while I'm trying to tell you about the problems I have being black. Correct. And he was like, in a better way of saying it, yes. And I was like, what, what sense does that make if I've been black for 21 years and I don't get to vote on this? You know, why can't we just talk about us? And But he refused to have the talk because I didn't tell him if I was a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah. And so it really caught me because I just wanted to talk about us being humans. Correct. And like, like you were saying that, that conversation between race and politics, they have, they have things to do with each other, but you should be able to have the conversation on either one of those topics without having to bring up the other, right? You should be able to talk, have a, a conversation about race in America, in the world without bringing up politics of like, well, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? That whole thing. I mean, because we're talking about a human, you know, we're talking about humans here, you know, type of thing. What's that got to do with the, the political, you know, makeup of it right now? Daniel Searles, PhD, licensed psychologist. I mean, we see all the time that, you know, we're being offered hope in some regard, but that, uh, you know, hope that's being offered to us, sometimes it's got a lot of backing and like we talked about before, like, you know, really solid agenda work um, supporting it. And other times it's kind of uh, a lofty, lofty gift that they're trying to offer just enough to get a vote. Um, and, you know, hope I think really and truly drives a lot of, um, you know, our decision-making as well as fear. Um, but when we think about proactive changes and, you know, really wanting to vote for candidates that, um, are going to make a better life for us, you know, 
playing off of hope and trying to instill hope when they can really can sway, you know, people's minds and opinions. Like the way I look at it, it's like we're talking about real human problems. This isn't just like, it's not about Democrat, Republican, whatever you want to call it. It's, you know, that's way beneath this. Like even looking at the George Floyd situation, it's like you see a man, it's a public lynching in a sense. You see an officer where his job is supposed to be to protect the community. And he's putting a knee in this man's back for eight minutes and 46 seconds. As you guys said, I was there kind of during the Obama years. So that was kind of the the highlight of uh, <laughs> me being there at TLU. Uh, one of the uh, major things that I remember, uh, I remember we had the inauguration. We all went to Jackson uh, Auditorium and watched the inauguration from there. Uh, it was really a big deal because that was, that was when he first became president. So I think everybody kind of remembers where you were when he became president, the inauguration. It was a lot of people that were trying to go to Washington for the inauguration. And I knew a few people that did, but um, you know, I'll never forget my place was at TLU. They actually, if you had class during that time, they kind of canceled classes and everybody went to the auditorium. And it was just, it was a big deal. It was really a big deal. I mean, obviously the first black president, I just felt like, uh, no, I just felt like America was really kind of uh, taking that step to really living up to sort of, you know, where you can go from nothing. You know, it was really a proud moment, if nothing else, uh, for me. It's like, ever since that, you really, it exposed a lot of things. You really got to see what racism looked like back then. It was sort of hidden. You know, it was, it may have been there, but you didn't really know it. And it was like after he became president, it was like they didn't like him, you know, strictly because he was black. It was, it was rough. It was really rough. So, um, you know, to see, you know, politicians from the other sides, they were not going to work with you. And then to see where it led and where it's led up to today, it's just been a shame. It really has. That energy that Trump is putting off, uh, they like how he says what he wants to say and can care less whose feelings he hurts or, uh, you know, how rude or, or, or disrespectful it is. Really, I hope whoever gets elected is able to kind of get us beyond this point. I mean, uh, you know, that debate with the whole stand by, stand back, uh, Proud Boys, uh, wow, wow. When he said that, I was floored. I was like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Uh, you know, he just says what he says, doesn't mean it half the time, but no, he was very calculated in what he said. I, and what I really didn't like, even more so than that, was he couldn't say that if he's not reelected, that he would leave peacefully. You know, uh, so you have a lot of people that are threatening that if Trump is not reelected, that there's going to be a civil war. And I'm like, to me, there's nothing more sad than that. 
with Ice Cube working with the Republican Party to kind of develop a plan for Black America. Um, just kind of what are your thoughts on that? Because I know he was met with a lot of backlash. I like Ice Cube. I'm going to say that first off. I love his movies, uh, some of his music. You have to consider him as, as one of sort of uh, a Black leader for a lot of the things that he's done. I'm like, regardless of who gets elected and who our president is, moving forward uh we got to work with them uh, to me you can't say we're just going to sit back and do nothing and wait for years so like i said overall it seems like ice cube is just trying to do what he feels is best and just getting us that seat at the table so we can talk to whoever the president is going to be and, and do what's best for us so i applaud what he did i mean i think everything in politics right now makes me worry about the future and I've got an eight-year-old and, you know, I mean, it worries me a lot just for his sake. And when it's my time to go and he's still here, you know, what is it going to be like? Pivotal. People don't understand. If you want to change your everyday life, you have to vote in local elections. Granted, the presidential election is, is important. The U.S. Senate and state in the U.S. Congress, all of those elections are open, but your everyday life is affected by your by your local government. If you wonder why your schools are the way they are, look at your school board. If you wonder why your roads aren't fixed, if you wonder why your property taxes are so high, all of that comes from the umbrella of the, your, your local municipality. So if you don't know who who is governing over your everyday life, then then um, then you don't understand why your situation is the way it is. If I want to see change in my community, first off, you need to identify what change you want to see. You know, you need to you need to approach everything with a plan. I mean, as as a, as a black person, we kind we kind of understand what the issues are, and then you have to identify the decision makers, and you have to hold them accountable. You have to you have to communicate what you want to see, and you have to hold them accountable. It goes back to your elections, right? Because if I if I come to you and I'm telling you that this demographic of your community is hurting in X, Y, and Z manner, and these are the things that we need done to improve our quality of life, and you turn and you turn back on that, then we have to come together as a collaborative and, and vote somebody in there who cares about our interests. Mm -hmm. You know, it all... It, it all comes back to to the political process because at the end of the day, the old adage is if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, you know? Mm. And so we have to have a place at the table. You have to create and, and, you know, people aren't going to give us that place. We have to create that place and we have to demand that place. You know, we don't, you know, we've been so, so I don't want to say passive, but we've been, you know, you know, asking for these things, asking, we asking, help, help us. We have to demand these things. We're not, we're not asking for a thing that is, that is outrageous, right? We're not, we're not asking for a billion dollars, write me a billion dollar check. We're not doing that. We're asking for equity. We're asking for basic human rights, basic civil rights. We're asking to be treated in, the, in a manner that is equivalent to the, to the, to, to, a, to every other demographic in our community. Like, that's what I want to do is really have organization within the community. Like you can't do it alone. Numbers really have a big influence on the community and how people run the community. 
And if, if you got numbers and people can vote you into those places to where now you can make a change. So for me, it's like, that's the biggest thing. It's like, not time. It's like, do you, who wants to be in that spotlight? Cause that comes with targets on your back. And everybody knows that people have been taken out because of that. You know, we were really talking about uh, the election and we were talking about, you know, the national election. But to me, uh, I've, I've really dug deep and, and got more involved in the local election. And I mean, when you look at what's going on with the Supreme Court and what's her name, Amy Coney Barrett, um, and them kind of pushing her through, uh, despite the fact that they wouldn't let Obama do the same thing, even though he had more time left. You know, you could say, hey, they didn't have the, the Senate, they didn't have the House, so let them go ahead and push it through. It's fine. It is what it is. But I was watching something the other day where there was a lady that said, you know, your first line of defense is your local elections. So that's what makes the local elections so important. Uh, with that being said, um, local elections, uh, I don't know if you guys have voted, but if you haven't, go vote. <laughs> I want to throw that out there for what it's worth. Well, I've been trying to get more educated with local elections, but I haven't been able to. But so what all is like... Uh, what all positions are there for local elections? And like, what is it exactly that it's um, doing, I guess? Oh, I know that there's from judges to sheriffs, uh, mayor and city council. To me, it's important. And what I've noticed the other day, just by watching one of the videos uh, that was on Facebook was a lot of these people in these different districts are running unopposed. So um, pretty much they're running a race against nobody. <laughs> so when, whenever the election is, they're automatically just put on the city council. And I'm like, that's kind of scary. You know, when you think about it, these people are making decisions on which direction the city is going. And I mean, you, there was no way to even stop them from getting on the city council. So I'm like, to me, we can talk about us not getting a fair chance, us not getting a fair shot. But to me, I kind of blame us in this sense because we weren't involved enough. We, we weren't involved enough to know, okay, there's nobody running. There's not anybody in that area or in that district that could at least challenge the person that's running. Uh, to me, that's on us. You can't blame anybody for that one. We have to be more involved. We have to be in the know. Um, but, you know, we can't just sit back and say, oh, well, you should run when I'm not willing to run. So, uh, and, and be the one not only to, uh, you know, it's easy to, to tell somebody, oh, yeah, I'm supporting you. But, you know, these elections aren't free. They aren't cheap. And I'll be honest with you, I don't have money like that to be really helping fund, but you have something. So I try to donate my time. And so that, that's really, it, it all boils down to the people going out there and voting. That's what it boils down at the end of the day. I couldn't imagine having to handle what you guys have to handle. Going to school when the president of the United States is Donald Trump. Like I could, I could not even imagine what, what that's like and having those conversations in class and just, I couldn't. I was fortunate that I was, I was there when um, Obama was president, you know what I mean? And, and I think that 
added another layer of okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get through this because if if Obama can be president, then who's stopping me from getting this degree? You know, so I, I want to say that I want to commend you guys for having these conversations and you know not being afraid, not being afraid, and not you know not being worried about what this will do to you guys or you know what if someone might not like it or like you know what if this ruffles some feathers. I mean, yeah. it is what it is. So I, yeah. I want you guys to know that I commend you guys a lot. And I think I speak for all of us when I say, you know, keep it up and, and keep fighting the good fight. So yes, these are interesting and challenging times, but for us, these are also exciting times. The Black alumni community of TOU is being galvanized in ways that it hasn't been in a long time. We've been getting tons of support for the podcast and have been building bridges through multiple generations of TOU that will help us to face whatever challenges come our way moving forward. But yeah, we've just kind of slowly, like slowly added people in and uh, it's just, it's nice to be able to connect and I think we might try to like meet but I think a lot of that really stemmed from this podcast and like just everything that's, you know, going on and Black alum wanting to like touch base and see like how how's it going at TLU. Um, Something that keeps me going too, like when I hear that there are alumni that are trying to get together, then I'm just like, then I'm like, right, I got to do more. Like, <laughs> yes, like you if do. I can, like, if I can do more, then maybe they can come closer. <laughs> but yeah, but no, I know. Sure. I know. I'm. I'm. Oh, we're at 45 members. Legit. Look. Wow. That's all beautiful. black alumni. See that? That's the powerful thing about this because I think for me, it's like every anytime you see like an alumni event, it's like you go and you don't necessarily see who you want to see there. And then so being able to do this and talk to different people, it's like, it makes everything else seem so much more attainable, right? Just because it's not people in their 60s and 70s. This is people that were here five years ago, 10 years ago. And I'm like, okay, so now I know that this is possible, right? I see people that look like me and they're young and they're doing all these different things. Like we've gotten to talk to so many people that do so many cool things. And then it's like, without this, would we have ever gotten to meet them, you know? And so like, it, it just puts a smile on my face to be a part of this and just to see everything going on. And like, I hope that, you know, when all this is over, we all get the chance just to interact and create a pipeline, you know, from alumni, current students, all the way down to like future students. That way they can come in and see, oh, if this is somewhere I go. Not only do I have people on campus that are going to look out for me, there's people, you know, that have gone through here that are still going to come back and help. So for me, just being able to see that and, you know, I'm very optimistic about the future 100%. Yeah, no, we, a group of us, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, um, like five or six of us, we were saying the same thing, you know, like, I hope that it, it puts us in a position to be able to have, you know, meaningful conversations with the university. Y'all, they went to the store just now and came back, because I'm, hey, Riley, come here. I need you to say something. Thank you for listening to Learning Boldly. Can you say that? Thank you for listening to Learning Boldly. Bye. Thank you for listening to Learning Boldly. 
First, we would like to send our appreciation to everyone that was consulted for advice or agreed to be a guest on today's episode. Thank you for your time and willingness to engage. Then we'd like to thank you, the listeners, for your continued support. We really enjoyed all the feedback and welcome any questions you might have for us. We also extend a sincere note of gratitude to Dr. Chris Bollinger for his support and guidance throughout the making of this podcast. Learning Boldly is produced by TLU alumni Nick Hayes and Adam Sweeney. Music by Nature Boy. If you're interested in showing support for BSU or would like to contact us, please feel free to email learningboldly at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you next time on episode six of Learning Boldly. It was never lost on me that I never had a black professor, um, that I had, I think only one um, professor of color um, that that I actually, she, she kind of became a mentor for me. Um, but it was one of the things that kind of smacked me directly in the face that no one who was kind of in charge or no one who was going to be educating me um, was looked anything like me.